Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast. This free podcast is made possible through gifts by people like you. Please consider making a donation through the donate button on the website to help us offer unique audio, video, and text-based teachings on the internet and to grow this community library. Michael's teaching bridges the gap between inner healing and social change by synthesizing traditional spiritual teachings with the insights of the West. To learn about Michael's international retreats and workshops, please visit michaelstoneteaching.com. Thank you for your support. So here we are, our third afternoon together, our second full day. And uh, yesterday I didn't mention Manjushri here. Uh, Manjushri usually has uh, one arm holding a sword that's sharp on two sides, which is a sword of discrimination. That's the whole of our practice, being able to cut through what's real and what's just addiction. And uh, on the other, usually on the other hand, there's a stem that leads to a book, and the book is the Prajna Paramita Heart Sutra. Same thing we chant in the morning, which maybe I'll talk more about as the week goes on. And. Uh, <clears throat> In the Zen tradition of which the center was created, uh, in, in most Zen traditions that I know, uh, the, the main deity uh, during retreat practice is Manjushri. So uh, I, I, I've never been here when they're doing their retreats here, but probably what they would do is put a Manjushri in front of the Buddha in the Zendo which is this energy of being able to really cut through. Maybe on the second day you can start to feel that. All the old stories and ideations are so exhausting. Can anybody feel that? It's like, oh, just to keep going. The big stories are no problem. Big story, you see it, okay, come back to your breath. But all the little ones are so exhausting. And as I started speaking about yesterday, as individuals, but also as a community, our practice is to cultivate mental states that are beneficial and to abandon mental states that are not beneficial. And my hope uh, in the talk this afternoon is to focus on technique and how you can actually do this in your sitting practice it can be confusing because uh, uh, the unbeneficial mental states are so great 
They're so seductive. <clears throat> so, um, one of the things the Buddha says in this sutta that hopefully you've been reading, and we're not going to study it line by line, um, is that when he noticed thoughts of cruelty or thoughts of ill will and how this usually came along with craving, um, just by noticing that they were not beneficial to him and they were not beneficial to other people, uh, he would abandon them. And then he says that what's interesting about that is that whenever you're caught in thoughts that are not beneficial to yourself and others, thoughts usually perfumed by craving, then um, when you're caught, those are times when you're not focused on renunciation. You're not focused on letting go. And we all know this, right? You, you, you can't have two thoughts at the same time. And the Buddha noticed this 2,500 years ago. That when you're caught up in grasping, when you're caught up in thoughts of cruelty to yourself or to others, then you're not involved in thoughts of letting go, the practice of letting go. So how do we let go? This is the key question, I think. So meditation instructions... Many of you have heard hundreds of them. If the fan is the fan okay, it doesn't bother anybody the clicking. A couple more days, you won't even hear it. <laughs> um, meditation instructions are not like pieces of a puzzle you put together and then you get all the pieces and then it works suddenly. A meditation practice is a constant feedback loop. So sometimes something works for a while. Just like maybe your cushion worked really good for three years, now it doesn't work anymore, and you have to use a bench. Or maybe the bench worked good for half a day, and now you need a chair. So same with the techniques. So it's good to have a few tools in your toolkit so that you can relate to what's working and what's not working. And the first technique that I really encouraged you to explore was really paying attention to the upright posture your tongue quiet, soft smile in your lips, the nose over the navel, which many of you are not doing. I look around the room and a lot of people are like this, head forward. For every centimeter that your nose goes forward of your navel, your head doubles in weight. So please keep that in mind when you're sitting. And usually you feel that right away as pain in the rhomboids between your shoulder blades and up into your neck. <clears throat> but the most important thing you need to explore is the relationship between doing and non-doing in meditative practice. Because most of the day we're trained to do. You hear a technique? Okay, I'm going to do that technique. And you can work really hard doing a technique, and it just spins you in circles in meditation practice. And trust me, I know. When I was younger, 
I was on a retreat, <laughs> and uh, um, I'm turning 40 in uh, seven weeks, so I'm allowed to start saying this. <laughs> um, but I remember being on a retreat, and just I just really wanted to get into deep concentration, deeper concentration, and I developed the worst migraine headache I've ever had. Because I was just, I was trying so hard to get somewhere. So the first thing about meditation practice is doing, it doesn't work. But you might not even see that you're doing something because you have so much karma around this issue of doing versus not doing. So the way that you approach meditation is through thinking. And you think through the technique Oh, I've got to follow my breath, so I'm following my breath. I think I'm doing a pretty good job. I think the posture is pretty good. I think this place is pretty good. And actually, you can start to get, I've done it, a really bad headache. Or just your body has stress in it. And you're not at ease. I really hope you're listening. Because you might think, oh yeah, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. But... It's tricky to find that place in the sitting of not doing the technique. So the technique of not doing. So you don't want to put in strong effort. And by letting go, something deeper starts unwinding. And usually that deeper unwinding can only happen when you relax. And this is the key to practice. Is that the deeper unwinding only happens as you relax in the frame of the pose. And if you make effort from the place that's willful, the techniques don't work. You'll probably just get agitated. And you'll think, oh, I can direct the practice this way, or I can direct the practice that way, and it doesn't really work. You maybe get little taste for a second, and then it all collapses again. Also, when you're looking at something like the breath, uh, in a really volitional way, it gives a location to the looking, which is here. Like on the first day when I was saying, open up to sounds, if you do that from a place that's willful, I'm going to listen to sounds, it gives a location to the listening, which is here somewhere, and then uh, you end up uh, just being uh, in yourself again. Do you know what I mean? Where, where perception's pivoting around this sense of me that's listening. So it's really important that you make your body receptive so the listening's not happening from the CEO. So the first technique that you can work with is when meditation starts, you need to approach it from sensing rather than from feeling. So some of you have heard me say this before, but meditation practice is a physical practice. And physical practice is a psychological practice. Yoga practice we do before lunch, that's our time for psychological practice. But what we're doing in the zendo there is physical practice. 
And the way you deepen your practice is by treating meditation as a physical practice. So that instead of thinking your way through the different techniques, it starts with sensing. Listening, touching, smelling, feeling. Hearing. Hearing, hearing, hearing. So the senses are meditating. And the other thing that you can do is you approach the experience of sitting from the back of your body, not from the front of your body. So when you're listening, you want to listen from the back of your body. Just feeling the posture, even as you sit right now, we're so used because our eyes are in the front of the body to sit and notice our posture from the front of our body. But you want to be in the room also from the back of your body. It's like if there's a kid that you approach who's very shy or awkward, you never approach them head on. You kneel down and you always first approach them from the side. It's the same thing in practice. When something's arising, you don't have to approach it head on. Okay, I'm going to figure this out. We're going to get this heroic kind of thinking energy. You just meet whatever's showing up with the back of your body. Sensing. Not so much thinking. Otherwise, you're always going to be looking at everything through the filter of the self and through the conceptual mind. And I'm sure this is what all of you are watching all day, is every time I say watch the breath or listen to sound, you're just noticing the overlay you're putting on everything. The filter spraying on everything. In this room, your body can be receptive to sound. As if every pore on your skin was an ear. Even behind your knees. Or you can listen to this talk with your throat. The back of your legs. You don't always have to come at each thing just through up here. So the posture should be stira, steady. To stand up, steady. And sukha. Sukha means well-being. So there's a sense of steadiness and a sense of well-being. So the first day I wanted you to open to sound, how many of you with a show of hands are actually trying to practice this continuously? It's opening up to sound. Oh, great, great. People are listening. You never know. You know, Everyone's just sitting there. I don't know. <laughs> and the breath is in the background. And so one of the things you can start to explore today is now we can switch them. So now sounds can be in the background, and in the foreground will be the breathing. And as you start to notice the breathing, you want to watch, you want to feel the breath, 
And notice how the breath comes in through the aperture of the nostrils. It crests, pauses, and then the exhale comes down behind the navel. Just like a roller coaster. It's like, whee, we go down on the exhale. But you don't actually need to feel that whole movement. You just need to feel the movement happening at its origin or at its end point. So some people like to feel the breath just on the outsides of the nostrils. And some people like to feel the breath behind the navel. You don't have to follow the whole movement. You just go to one end or the other. So, and this is just personal preference to begin with. So some people like to feel the breath in the no- just outside the nostrils. It's almost like somewhere above your upper lip. It's not actually in your body. And some people like to feel the breath behind the navel. And if you get too focused on the breath in kind of like a laser focus style, then you, you lose the sound and then things become uptight. And if you focus, that's in your navel. And if you focus too tightly on the breath outside your nostrils, your eyes start to turn inward at your nose. Even if your eyes are closed and you'll start to get a migraine headache. Or you'll be cross-eyed and you'll stay like that forever. <laughs> So that's why, as you're feeling the breath outside your nostrils, you can even just try it as I'm talking. As you feel the breath outside your nostrils, you want to also stay open to sound at the same time. And that keeps you relaxed around your breathing. Did you have a sense of what I'm saying? So that you're not like, I'm going to stay with the breath and I'm never going to let it go and I'm going to get the first jhana. The second thing is the sukha part. So feeling your breath is like going to a warm beach in the middle of winter. I mean, not a wintry beach, but in winter you take a plane, you go to a warm beach, you put up a nice purple umbrella, and you have a nice lawn chair, or ta- I don't like lawn chairs, but towel on the beach, and then you just watch the waves come in, and you watch them go out. It's totally relaxed. Once in a while, someone brings you a drink. <laughs> and you just watch the waves come in. And you can hear the waves. You can hear the waves coming. Little kids are running around in places, or like eagles, or whatever is going on. People on jet skis. But there's a sense of totally relaxed as you're feeling the breath. This is a place where a lot of people go wrong, is that when you hear the word concentrating, you think, tight like this, one-pointed, laser-pointed. But actually, the way into one-pointed absorption is through relaxation. Through relaxation. Otherwise, your temperature will go up, your uh, nervous system will be upregulated, it's easy to get a headache, the energy is all going this way. Uh, We want to stay connected to the back of the body, just like you're on a beach. Just like you're on a meditation retreat. And then sukha will happen. So the sign that there is sukha is that um, for a moment in your practice, you get the feel of this, 
and you get interested. Has anybody felt this yet? Like for a moment, you get a feel of settling, and then you just get really interested in that. And that's sukha, that moment of interest. So there's two things happening. There's interest and flow at the same time. So you start to get a sense of flow with sound or flow with the breath. And then you get some interest in what's going on. And, and that interest has some pleasure in it, and that's, that's the sukkah. <clears throat> and I should also note that this happens very gradually. You don't have to rush it. Really gradual. Just step by step. First the sound, then the breathing, steadiness, relaxation, the interest, the flow. Just like with a baby, first the baby gets mother's milk, and then the baby gets some vegetables, and then the baby gets grains, and then espresso. <laughs> you don't start for the espresso too quickly, except through the mother's milk. Yeah. So, because we're trying to wean ourselves out of what's called papancha, conceptual proliferation. It's those trains of thought, really long trains of thought. So, <clears throat> you'll also notice that as the breath relaxes, it becomes finer. This is a really important point I want you to try and investigate. That as the mind gets quieter and quieter and quieter, the breath gets quieter and quieter and quieter. It happens together. And then, as soon as you're distracted, your breath gets coarse again. And you should say thank you to your breath for getting coarse again. Because if your breath didn't get coarse again, you'd never find it. You'd just be lost over here. But because you're incensing, not thinking, you're incensing, you're feeling your breath, and then your mind starts going off, and then your breath gets kind of coarse again. My theory about this, and I don't know if this is true, but it would be interesting to ask a, a neuroscientist, is that when your mind is busy, you need more oxygen. So when your brain is firing, you probably just need to take more breaths again. And that's why when our mind is really quiet, our breath is very, very shallow, almost imperceptible. That's another reason why people often say, well, you know, I'm a jogger, and when I'm jogging or doing Ashtanga yoga, isn't that meditation? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> the mind can't settle when the breath is doing this really, really quiet. Mind settling. And then quiet, quiet, quiet. And then the mind gets hooked. And then the breath gets coarse again. So I encourage you to, to watch this. And then you'll start to see that the quality of your awareness the quality of attention begins to change. Much more spacious, much more stable, much clearer. And that you can have contact with something and then sustain the contact.
for much longer. And I won't get into this today, but this is called the first jhana, which is when you can relax in your breathing, there's interest, and there's a sense of pleasure in it. Has anyone felt this yet? You're sitting there and you actually like it? Yeah. There's some pleasure in it. Uh, one of my teachers called this uh, touching and rubbing, which is a really nice way to think about it. Right? So feeling the breath, and then your, your mind starts taking interest, really quiet. You've touched that space, and then you just rub it. You just stay with it. Or sometimes the old texts say initial application and then sustained application. So it's not just that you know it, but that you can stay there. And, having said all this, when you die, all of this is going to happen anyways. Because when you die, your scaffolding of who you are is all going to fall down. Maybe for some people not so elegantly, maybe for some people a little more elegantly. So actually maybe really all of this technique is just learning how to die, which means learning how to live. Learning how to live fully. cut away what's not real. If you find that all of this is impossible, and you're listening to sound once in a while, you can listen to sound, but mostly you're just thinking about your past, or you're planning your career. Most of you don't have a career, so <laughs> probably you're thinking about your past. <laughs> We don't attract the career types so much. <laughs> I don't know why. Anyways, um, what was I saying? Forgot. It's difficult. Difficult. Cutting away what's not real. Yeah, cutting away what's not real. Oh, yeah. If you can't do it, then um, one technique you can use is just counting. How many people here have tried counting the breath? Yeah. So you just relax your breath. And the, the, the best way to start is half counting. So when you inhale, you go one. When you exhale, two. Inhale, three. Exhale, four. And you try and get to ten. And then once you get the hang of that, then you do dual counting. So that's the whole breath cycle. So inhale, exhale, one. Inhale, exhale, two. Until you can get to ten. If you can get to ten, then you do it backwards. Inhale, exhale, ten. Gives you kind of a good feeling, but then you go back. 
nine, eight, seven, six, five. And sometimes that's good to do just for the first two minutes or three minutes of your sit. Sometimes in the morning, these techniques come really naturally, but later in the afternoon or in the early evening, um, your mind can get a little sloppy. So then maybe just for the first couple minutes of sitting, you just want to try the counting. So this is really healing. I hope you can already feel how the architecture and the silence and the form are all really healing conditions for allowing us to heal. You know, when we're small, we have so many experiences that happen to us that are overwhelming for our nervous system. So as a response, we create a defense mechanisms that then get internalized as our ego, as our personality. And then we're always moving through the world with this personality, which is a great thing, is a really good thing, except it has in it all the scraps from the times when we were overwhelmed. And a lot of the threats that caused us to have this biological response of splitting or dissociating or pushing some parts of our personality away. So that was all really good that we were able to do that. It's amazing that our human system can do this. But then, as you get older, the threats aren't there anymore. But the defenses are still there. And they prevent us from loving really deeply. And most of the time, they prevent us from valuing ourselves really deeply. I'm talking to all of us, including me. And so when you sit and you start to feel your breathing and do this uh, practice of um, unconditional presence, then you start to soothe these wounds that sometimes you don't know even in your conscious mind that you have them. All you're doing is you're sitting there going, oh, my knee is just so painful, and like, and now my hip hurts, and, and you're just staying in that zone. And you think, oh, this is all just about my physical body. And you don't realize that actually the whole thing is just a convenient dialogue to avoid going deeper and opening up the door of pain. And maybe that's the only thing that's really so different about this practice than other meditative techniques, is that we're learning how to be free. We're not focused on trying to get happy. We're learning how to feel freedom no matter what we're feeling. And I think there aren't better tools that a peacemaker can have. You know, all these deities that you see around, 
They always have tools. And so if you're going to live as a peacemaker, then you also need to have tools. Because change in our culture is not going to happen through electoral politics. And it's not going to happen through a political revolution. Look at Syria and Egypt and Cuba. We need to have inner transformation. That's one really important piece. Inner change. Real deep inner healing. And awakening. Personally. And second, we really need to be able to stop and to not cooperate with the structures that are in us and outside of us that keep contributing to cruelty. And third, we need to practice in an imaginative way uh, new stories for how to live. And we need these three things. Really deep inner healing. Because if you just have the stopping, chaining yourself to a, a tree, or the rudder of a boat on Lake Ontario that's bringing coal to a power plant the government still won't shut down. That affects some change, but there has to be these other pieces too. And I really feel like that's what we're trying to do here. There's these really deep techniques that are thousands of years old. Literally. The techniques I'm describing are 2,500 years old. At least. Inner healing. Then we also need to stop. To stop the negative chatter. It's like an epidemic. Self-judgment is an epidemic. And also stop cooperating with companies and institutions and political paradigms that keep people oppressed. And third, we need new stories. And one of the things I feel, I don't know if you feel this yet because you might still not like your roommate, or which bed you got, or how somebody eats, or whatever. But one of the things we're doing here is we're, we're living with each other. And I think this practice of how we're, we're, we're living lightly together um, is an example of practicing a new story of what's possible. I hope you feel that in your heart. Wow, this is a completely different way of going through a day. So that's the context. But now, let's focus back on what you're doing with your breathing and your walking and your eating. The Buddha says, put aside all fretting and covetousness in relationship to the world. 
in order to do mindfulness of the body. So all these big world issues, don't think about them on the retreat. You don't need to. All the troubles you came in here with, you don't have to actively think about them. Just try and use these eight days. The feeling of the breath, the relaxing of fear, hearing the chants. Every time you hear a chant and there's like one part that really stays with you, just memorize it. Like, do not squander your life. Let that in. Or maybe there's a deity you walk by and and one day you look at the sword and you're like, and you totally get that. That sword you've been scared to pick up. And say, okay, this thing, I can cut this, I can cut this off. Not out of anger, just I can slice it. Smooth. Or maybe you're reading the text in your room. I hope everybody's reading it. And there's a line that you come across, you know. And and just memorize it. Memorize the line. <clears throat> or we chant the Heart Sutra. Right now, the line in the Heart Sutra that really is staying with me is, No hindrance, therefore no fear. No hindrance, therefore no fear. So, sounds are in the background. Now we're going to bring the breath into the foreground. And we're going to let the breath absorb whatever's coming up. Sensations in the body, sound of sound. Honoring what's showing up. Letting whatever arises be sacred. The most sacred thing is what's arising in this moment. And here's the punchline. There's no other way to live. You can only experience your life moment to moment to moment. Awake, awake, awake. You can't experience your life a different way. Only in this moment. So I was saying yesterday, what a tragedy to only be in the movie. That you're directing producing, starring in, co-starring in. It's so annoying. (laughs) You are the most annoying thing to yourself. 
sometimes people have to sit there until the volume of the stories are so loud that they almost need to scream. So you're right at the edge. You can't take it anymore. This is no way to live. Or sometimes people have to feel like they're walking to the parking lot, going to the car. And just as they get to the car, they have the thought, where am I going to go? So, the second day, tonight we're going to start interviews. So I, I love the word interview, if you hyphenate it. Two people looking in each other, in each other's hearts. And so um, everybody will have a chance to have an interview at least one time for sure. And I really encourage you because interviews for everybody to participate will be less than 10 minutes. So I encourage you during interview just to drop all of your worries about outside of this building. And just try and articulate what's happening in your practice. Because that's what I can work with, with you. That's where we can work together. What's happening in your practice and how do we, you know, drop away what's getting in the way. How do we, how do we honor that and also not be caught by it? And that's what we can use our time for. And I also just want to say that this is a really, really good group. Everybody's doing great. I hope you felt in the past uh, couple sessions that we're starting to settle now. Except for one. No, I'm just kidding. So, stira, steadiness, continuous practice, upright, uplifted, and sukha, well-being. Uplifted and well-being, together, not separate. Too upright, and you get really stiff. Maybe you're doing that right now. Oh, I look really good. (laughs) I hope he can see how good my posture is. You know, I'm a complete disaster. And a sense of ease. And if you only have ease and you don't have the uprightness, then um, you just get lazy, sloppy. And then in that space, feel breathing. And then you might see that the breathing and awareness are not separate things. Just like the forms, bowing, lighting incense, twirling, 
on your cushion. The forms are not separate from awakening.